on in wineskins. I'm going to try to reset and see if we can tie everything up today. Normally, I type out what I'm going to say. Normally, I have three pages worth of stuff. I got six. So we have extra coffee in the back. We'll be done at 1230, I promise. If I'm not finished, I'm still going to say we'll be done. So you don't need to worry about that. But but I'm going to talk faster than I normally do even to try to get through this. Uh, We've been looking at this idea of wine and wineskins. A few weeks ago, uh, we were talking about our jumping off point was Jesus' words of instructions to his disciples when they went on this first missionary journey. He had 12 guys that were going out for the first time without him. And so he was giving them instructions on how they were to engage people and interact with people along the way. We looked at Mark uh, or Matthew 10, 8, where Jesus says, Freely you've received, freely give. And we said the implicit subject there, the implied subject, was grace. The grace that you freely receive from God, freely give that grace to others. And we said grace is God's undeserved favor. We just said every good thing we get from God is grace because we don't deserve any of it. So what Jesus is saying is the grace, the good things that you freely receive from God, freely give those things to the people you come into contact with. It was good instruction then, it's good instruction now. As you live your Tuesday, the way you need to be engaging the people you bump into is recognizing the grace God has given you and looking for opportunities to give that away to others. Freely you've received grace, freely give grace. That's how it works. Then we shifted and we started looking at this idea of wine and wineskins. This is Mark 2.22. Jesus says, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. What we said there is the container needs to be appropriate to what's inside. It's not about new and old. It's about appropriate, what fits. New wine is still expanding. You put in an old wineskin that can't expand. It's going gonna, it's gonna to explode. It's going to bust. You're going to lose all your wine, and you've ruined the wineskin. There's not a value judgment about new and old. It's about what's appropriate. And we said for us, the wineskin is our lifestyle. It's what you do today, what you do tomorrow. You have a wineskin to your life. And there's wine. That's the grace that God gives you. And your lifestyle needs to be appropriate to, needs to fit the wine that God is giving to you. Just like in this parable, that's how it's got to be. And God expects us to shape our lifestyle around the grace that he has given us. You can't say, this is my life. Now, God, can you pour some grace into it? He does not work that way. It starts with him. Here's the grace that I'm giving to you. Here's the wine I'm pouring into your life. Then he expects us to shape our lifestyle around that, to make conscious, deliberate, intentional, regular choices to hold that wine, to be able to receive that wine, and then to be able to give it away. Got it? That's what we talked about a few weeks ago. And then last week we looked at Mary, particularly particularly Mary, and uh, this incident where she poured perfume on Jesus' head. And we said that was a very tangible, concrete example of someone shaping their lifestyle around the wine that God had given them. If you look at Mary, she shows up only a few times, and every time she seems to have this loving Jesus, ministering, blessing Jesus thing. That seems to be what she does. That's the grace God has given to her. And so in the last week of his life, she breaks, she finds him uh, in a room where he's eating with uh, some, some guys. She's not allowed there. She breaks in. She busts his perfume bottle on his head, and it's a picture of shaping your lifestyle around the grace that God has given to you. So that was a real uh, kind of a snapshot, and today we're going to zoom out and we're going to try to pan. We're going to try to do a pan of 
30 years of Paul's life in the next 25 minutes. We're going to go through 19 chapters in the book of Acts in the next few minutes. So y'all, hold on. Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out. I'm not going to read 19 chapters. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if any, so if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. One of the things I want you to see, this idea that we've been talking about, back in the winter we called it our deal, the good works God has called you to, your calling, your destiny, God's will for your life, God's plan for your life, God's purpose, whatever you want to call it, our shorthand is your deal. This wine that God gives you, the grace that he gives you, it's integral to your salvation. This is not, this isn't like honors level Christianity. This is basics for all of us. What Jesus says to Saul, Go to the city. Why? So you can see what you must do. Sometimes we equate salvation with forgiveness of sins. Jesus died to forgive us of our sins. No, he didn't. That's part of it. That's not all of it. It's not even half of it. Jesus died to redeem us, to buy us back from the power of sin and death and Satan so that we can live fully as children of God. That's what he died for. It's kind of like running a race. There's a race that God wants each of us to run. There's an element of that forming us into a certain type of person. That's Romans 8, 29. We talk about that all the time, being conformed to the image of Jesus. There's another element, doing the things that God has created for you to do. That's Ephesians 2, 10. That's our deal. We talk about that a lot too. There are two elements to your race for all of us. When God made all of you, whether you're a Christian or not, God said, this is what I want for you. I want you to become as much like Jesus as possible before you die. And I want you to do these things that I've created specifically and particularly for you to do. So there's this race, but the deal is there's an entry fee. And you don't have any money. And that's where forgiveness comes in. Jesus pays the fee for you to be able to run the race. He didn't pay the fee so that you can sit on the couch and watch Oprah and eat bonbons all day. That's not it. He paid the fee for you to run the race. If you're not running the race, you're missing 98% of the story. Jesus did not die so you could keep screwing up and asking for forgiveness. There's way more to it than that. He died in order to pay the penalty that we all owe, in order that we would be free to live as children of God, run this race, become these people that God desires for us to become. Run this race that he desires for us to run. You get that. Your deal is integral to your salvation. You weren't just saved from something, although you were. You were saved for something. And that's huge. The from is it's the prelude, the introduction. The for is the rest of the story. And we've got to get into that. Or we've, we've missed it. Forgiveness is absolutely important. And it's the first step. So you've got to keep going. With this, skip down to verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, Ananias was a prophet, Go, this man, that's Paul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God, Paul had a deal. This was the wine that God was giving to him. 
to be an instrument to carry God's name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. That's the race that God put in front of Paul. It's different for you. Maybe it has something to do with hospitality. We've talked about that before. And so you need a lifestyle that allows you to be, if you're gone five nights a week, you can't open your home up to anyone. Your lifestyle is not appropriate for the wine or the grace God has given to you. Maybe it has something to do with some social justice cause or something else. I don't know. There's as many different expressions of grace as there are people in this room. But we need to figure out what it is. Absolutely. If you're a person, God has a deal for you. And you need to discover it. And for some of you, you're like, for the love, you say this all the time, and I'm done. It's salt in a wound. And you're saying, if God would knock me off a horse and have an audible conversation with me from heaven, and then I'd go blind, and then he'd send a prophet to heal me and tell me what I was going to do, I'm down the road. That's not happening for me. It's probably not going to happen for you that way. What I want you to see from this is the freedom to just do something. Just something. Pick. Throw darts at a dartboard. Pull, pull a suggestion out of a hat. Just walk, do something. Just move forward. Get off the couch and do something. Look for an opportunity to serve, to give, to be a channel of God's grace to somebody else. I don't care if you think you've got five talents or two or one or a third of one. You've got something. If you're a Christian, you've got some grace that God has given you. Look for an opportunity to give that away. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be grand. Just do something. And you say, well, I'm going to mess up. If I don't know what God wants me to do, how do I know I'm walking in the right direction? Let me take the pressure off. You're going to mess up. Absolutely. There's no way you're going to mess up as much as Paul did. Never. Unless you're going to start burning down churches and locking Christians in your basement, you're going to be okay. He's breathing out murderous threats. Are you? Is that what you're thinking of doing? I think I'm going to go kill people. Unless that's the direction you're going. He sat over, he approved of the martyrdom of the first Christian, Stephen. They're stoning Stephen and they're laying their coats at Saul's feet. And he's like, go guys. Unless that's the direction you're walking in, you're not going to screw up as much as Paul. And even if you screw up as much as Paul, look what happened. God takes responsibility for redirecting him. We say all the time, God cares more about our hearts than he does our actions. Our actions are huge. Our hearts are huger. Paul's heart was right. His execution was miserable. But his heart was right. Everything he knew was God is one. That's what the Old Testament said. There's one God. There's one God. There's one God. Then all of a sudden, there are these folks showing up saying, Jesus is God. That's two. That's blasphemy. It's heresy. We've got to stomp that out. So God is going in this direction. I want to spread the good news of Jesus. I'm trying to promote this gospel message. Paul is running as hard as he can in the opposite direction. Snuff it out. Stamp it out. Arrest them. Shut them up. God redirects him. Because his heart's right. Paul's heart was right. He just didn't know enough. God took the responsibility and the initiative. He's the one that, the flash of light. He's the one yelling from heaven. He's the one who sends the prophet. All of that is God's initiative. You can take confidence if you're trying. He'll fix it. He'll redirect you and he'll take the responsibility and the initiative to do so. You're going to be okay. The only way to know if a pair of shoes really fits is to try it on. And you've got to try some things on to see if they fit. 
And if you make a mistake, big deal. If you're making a mistake with the right heart, if you're running in the wrong direction, but your heart is good, you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do, you're trying to be faithful, you're trying to be obedient, you're trying to honor the Lord, if you're trying, then let Him redirect you. It's His responsibility, not yours. He can't hold you accountable for stuff you don't know. Now, once He tells you, then you have to respond. You will. Y'all have good hearts. I'm not worried about it. Just move. Don't be timid. Don't be a sissy. Don't be a chicken. Don't use, I don't know everything, as an excuse not to do anything. Look for an opportunity. that Some of you, you just need to go out to lunch with somebody. Step one. You've got this stuff in your heart, and you've never told anybody. Make a phone call. Get together with somebody. And begin to share. Get it from here out here. And see what, sometimes that's all it takes. Just get the ball rolling. There's a thousand opportunities to serve in our community. Church and non-church, it doesn't matter. Pick one and do it. If you hate it, then do something else. And if you hate that, then do something else. You'll find it. And if you find something that you love, but you're not sure that it's the thing, trust God to redirect you, just like he did with Paul. Again, you're not going to run in any worse direction than Paul ran. And God was able to pull him back. He can pull you back as well. Verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul immediately began to make choices based on the grace God had given him. He didn't wait around. At once. He gets this commission. He gets this grace. He figures out, this is my deal to preach the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. And he immediately, at once, he starts to do it. Some of you, very difficult for you to take step one if you don't know step two. Some of you want to know step 17. A lot of you want to know step two. You're not going to know step two. I don't know what to say. It's not the way God works. You read throughout the Bible. He gives scant instruction up front. Abraham, I want you to move to a new country, and you're going to be the father of many nations. Three sentences. Pick up your life and go. Moses, I want you to deliver my people from Egyptian slavery. Okay, good. And here's a staff. David, I want you, you're the king. Doesn't hear from him for 10 years. Doesn't know what to do. Jesus to the 12, follow me. Where are we going? Follow me. That's the MO. That's God's MO. That's what he does. When we think of becoming mature, we think of becoming independent. Like what your parents did for you if you have kids, what you're doing for your kids is your goal is to get them to a point where they don't need you, where they're self-sufficient, mature, responsible adults. That's, 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 what we, that's maturity. It's not maturity in the kingdom of God. Maturity in the kingdom of God is not independence. It's consistently being led by the Spirit which is completely different. Jesus wasn't a child. He wasn't a baby. He could make decisions. And he says things like, I only do what I see my father doing. My food is to do the will of my father. There's this sense that the, what God wants for us is us to learn how to become more dependent upon him. He's not looking for a once-a-week phone call where you say everything's okay. And he knows us. And he knows if he gives us five steps, we're going to call him when we get to step five. And we're going to do one, two, three, and four all on our own. Because that's, that's who we are. 
So he's going to give you just enough to move forward, but not enough that you can do it without him. And for some of you, you're asking for new revelation. You want more, and you haven't done anything with what you've got. And I think God's saying, I'm not giving you anything else until you do something with what you have. Don't ask for more until you've used what you've got. After you take a step, then you can see the next step. So take a step. It's a trust issue. That's what he, we, we talked earlier. Part of this race is becoming a certain type of person. The heart of that is one who trusts God implicitly. And so that's what he's doing with us. He's not, we don't have a five-year problem. That's, that's not it. It's not a five-year plan issue for us. It's a five-day plan issue for us. It's doing something Tuesday or Wednesday, not knowing what we're supposed to do after that so we don't even do that. And so we're just sitting around. At once, Paul began to preach. And so my encouragement to you again is don't be timid. Go with what you know. If this is all you've got, then, then do that. And trust that God will give you the next step when you need it. He's not going to lay the next 10 years out for you. He's not. And if that's what you're waiting for, you're going to be waiting for a long time. If you're waiting for some massive plan to come together, you're going to be waiting for a, He doesn't work that way. It's broad strokes. It's just enough to get moving. And then he'll show you the next thing when you get there. Acts 18, 2 and 3, Paul, we, we learn that Paul is a tent maker. Paul's deal was not Paul's job. Don't confuse those two things. Paul's job was he made tents. Tent maker, he made tents. Paul's deal, the grace God had given him, the wine, whatever you want to call it, was to preach the gospel. He never made a dime on that. Some of you will be tent makers your whole life. You will work a job that will pay the bills in your house, and then you'll do your deal over here for nothing. Some of you will be priests. You'll get paid to do your deal. Neither one is better than the other. They're not. And a lot of times we don't get to choose. So don't conflate your job with the grace God has given you. There's two ditches you can fall into. One is to believe that your job is your calling. It might not be. I got a great job and I love it and, you know, the people are pretty nice and I'm good at it. And da, da, da. So you've got to do the work of discerning what God has called you to. And it might not be the thing that you're getting paid to do, which is fine. You just need to realize that. And don't fall into the trap of thinking that because you have a great career that you're, that you're doing your deal. It might not be the case. And it could be, as you figure out what your deal is, you realize you need to change careers because this one is keeping you from getting at what God wants you to do. We don't talk like that a lot, but that's... God wants he's shape your lifestyle around the grace he's given you. If it means you've got to find another job, then find another job. It's more important. His grace is more important. So it could be, don't, don't confuse that. The other ditch is to think that your calling is your job. Your job's not your calling, and your calling is not your job. I don't know if this applies to other people as well, but for folks like me who work in a church, very important. If that's where you see yourself going at some point. You need to hear this. Your calling is not your job. If you're waiting on a particular job to open up, and then you're saying, well, then I'm going to shape my lifestyle around the grace that God has given me, you're wrong. You're just flat wrong. 
That's not, that's not how it works. If you know what your deal is, God's expectation is you're going to begin to make choices now, whether you ever get paid to or not, to incorporate that grace into your life, to receive it and to give it away. And kind of a tag point on that. Because your job and your deal are not the same thing, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God, ever. Moses got called when he was 80. None of y'all are 80. So you haven't even started. God expects us to live out our calling until we're dead. As long as he's giving grace to you, he expects you to receive that grace and to give that grace away. And it w- yeah, it'll look different. We have four kids under nine right now. It looks different than it will in ten years for us. So that's no excuse to say, well, we're just going to pull back. No. You've got a lot going on, or doesn't matter. It does look different in different seasons of your life, but the point is, are you receiving and giving out the grace that God has given to you? Paul faced resistance all along the way. This is Second uh, Corinthians 11. Paul's talking about himself. He's kind of a just, this is kind of a justification of his role. He says, I've worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. So that's pretty much everywhere. I've labored and toiled, and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. So that's Paul saying, that's, that's what I've got. Since I said yes, that's the stuff that I've, that's what's happened in my life. Your comfort, my comfort, is not God's top priority. That's hard for us because we're Americans. And our comfort is everybody's top priority. But it's not his. If we're going to say yes, if you're going to begin to shape your lifestyle around the grace God has given you, expect some resistance. And it could come in the form of suffering. Maybe. Two ditches. One is to get self-righteous. Look at all I've sacrificed for Jesus. You have a beach house and I'm eating hot dogs every week or whatever it is. And we can use the level of our suffering or sacrifice as a badge of honor to show how spiritual we are. We set our thermostat at 68. Well, we can't afford that. Ours is at 62. Or what? Who cares? This is what Paul says, Acts 9. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. Paul learned of their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. That is, Paul ran away. These guys are trying to imprison him and kill him. It's pretty hard to be an apostle to the Gentiles if you're in jail or if you're dead. So Paul left. There is no value in suffering for the sake of suffering. That's not a, that's not a kingdom value. There are other religions that teach the suffering for its own sake. We don't. So if you, if you want to do that, that's fine. That's not the way of Jesus. It might be the way of Buddha. It's not the way of Jesus. 
if what, the thing is to finish the race. The thing is to live out your deal. It's to give and receive grace from God. If, if being thrown in jail keeps you from doing that, then for goodness sake, stay out of jail. There's no, there is no value in sacrifice for its own sake. That, that's not where we live. Everything we receive is a gift from God. And so that, that's, that's not the point here. So if you're self, if you, or if you're, if you tend to be self-righteous, if you're a martyr, look how much I'm suffering and sacrificing. You need to get over that. That's not the thing here. The other ditch is self-pity. Woe is me. Look how bad God is treating me. I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Look how good everybody else has it. If I could only be like them. Don't do that. Again, your comfort, it's important to the Lord, and it's not primary. He doesn't want any of us to suffer just for the sake of suffering, but believe me, if your suffering will allow you to be a channel of his grace to somebody else, he's going to check that box every time. And you just need to know that going in. We said last week, saying yes to something automatically implies saying no to everything else. Saying yes to his grace, you're going to be saying no to some very good things. Okay. Just know that going in. Nothing to get hung up about. No pity parties. No self-loathing. No woe is me. There's no, no room for that in the kingdom of God either. Just like there's not a room, there's not room for these guys who are just, look how much I'm suffering. There's not look, the other ditch is just as bad. Don't fall in either one of them. The point is to run your race. Most likely you're going to have to sacrifice something to get there, and you might even have to suffer a little along the way. So just know that going in. Paul also, resistance wasn't just from kind of this suffering thing. He had opposition, sometimes from his enemies. Acts 14, 19, then some, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Every city Paul went to, there, was, there seemed to be this group of Jews that just kind of followed him around and stirred up trouble. That could be the case for you. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know what your deal is. I don't know what it looks like for you to live it out. But you could make some enemies. Okay. This is what I think is more likely. Opposition from friends. Acts twenty twenty two. Paul says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Paul understood that God had called him to go to Jerusalem. If you read through the last ten chapters of Acts, Paul repeatedly says, I know i got to go to Jerusalem. I know i got to go to Jerusalem. I know i got to go to Jerusalem. Very clearly, this word was given to him. Acts 21.4. Finding the disciples there, he stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's going to be the issue for most of you. People who love you and people who love God with all the good intentions in the world are going to get in the way. Paul knew what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem. He knew they were going to arrest. Everybody knew it. God had revealed this to all these prophets. and They all knew. And so these guys who love him and who love God are saying, Paul, you can't go. They're going to arrest you and they're going to kill you. And how can you be an apostle to the Gentiles if you're in jail or if you're su- How can that? You can't go. Their hearts were 100% on. Execution was terrible again. They knew the right stuff. They just didn't interpret it in the right way. And Paul had to press on and say, guys, I got to. Everybody's saying don't go. And he's saying, man, I got to 
I've got to finish this thing. And that's how it's going to be for you. You've got to know what you know. That's why it's so important to nail down in your heart what God is calling you to, knowing what your deal is. Because at the end of the day, some of you are going to get advice, counsel, input, resistance from people who love God and love you. They're going to try to pull you off course, not because they want to pull you off course, just because they don't understand what God has told you to do. And that's your responsibility. You've got to own your heart. We've said before, you've got to run your race. I can't run it for you, and you can't run mine. You've got to know what God's put in front of you because at the end of the day, he's going to say, did you finish it? And you can't say, well, I was going to, but my mom said, or I was going to, but I read this. No. He's, he's going to say, what did I say? Listen to me. You've got to know what you know. I'm huge on God speaks to the body through the body. Absolutely, you've got to have people around you. And I think most of the time what they tell you is good and right. But if what people are telling you doesn't line up with where you feel like God is leading you, you've got to look at that. And if you have to choose, you have to go with how God is leading you because you're responsible for those choices. I don't want to create a church full of lone rangers, but there are times you know you know you've got to go to Jerusalem, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You've got to go. Sometimes it'll be poor results that'll discourage you. The resistance is from being ineffective. Acts 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Paul was not a smashing success everywhere he went. He was by far the single greatest missionary in the history of the world. But there were times where he, he didn't hit a home run, and you're not either. You're going to make a go, you're going to make a choice, you're going to try something, and it's going to blow up in your face. Okay. You're going to quit? You're going to take your ball and go home? I hope not. Expect it. At some point, you're going to bomb. Big deal. You've got to keep going. Don't allow poor results to keep you from trying again. Don't allow poor results to keep you from finishing the race. That's, it's, it's just silly is what it is. So don't get wrapped up in that. It's easy for me to say because I'm not going through the debris of a blow-up. And if you are, it, you can think, man, I can never try again. This is so painful or so devastating. It's such a mess. Okay. Get back to it. There's going to be poor results. God will put it back together. You've got to keep moving. Ultimately, I think this is the deal. This is Acts 20, 24. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Fulfilling his calling was primary for Paul throughout his life. This these words were spoken the last quarter of his life. Acts records about 30, 35 years of Paul. And these words were probably written sometime between year 25 and 30. He'd already done a ton. But what he says is none of that matters. I've got to finish. If when, I, when I am saying, shape your lifestyle around the grace God has given you. What's your deal? Live out your calling. If you're thinking back to... Ten years ago when you used to teach Sunday school or that time you 
served at must or gave blood at the blood drive. That's great. That's a long time ago. The deal is to finish the race, and you haven't finished it until you're dead. So you've got to keep running. As long as you're receiving grace from God, he expects you to give that away to other people and to shape your life around it. I said two weeks ago, to me, there is, I can't think of very many things that are more important than this, to bend your life around. We make choices for all kinds of reasons. Best resale value, best school district, highest paying, whatever. I'm saying make choices based on the grace God has given to you. And if it means bad resale value, terrible school district, lowest paying, then do that. It's fine. You read what Paul went through. No mother wishes that for her son. But God, that was it for Paul. And it could be for you. Difficult choices. It might be small tweaks. It might be sweeping changes. I don't know. I can't tell you. But I can tell you this. The expectation from God, if he's told you this is your deal, he then expects you to bend around it. We talked last week. It's not, this isn't one piece of the trivial for pursuit pie. This is the whole wheel. And everything else gets put inside of it. So discern, discover what your deal is. And then begin to make concrete, daily, tangible choices to shape your life around it. And then see where it goes. See where it goes. Let's pray. One of the things we said last week, kind of our key verse, was Mark 14, 8. She did what she could. And that's always the standard. The boy gave five loaves of bread. He didn't, have, he didn't give six because he didn't have six. And he didn't give four because he had five. And that's, that's what God expects of us. He expects you to do what you can. So I don't, want you to, I don't want you to feel weighted, guilty, any of that. I just want you to be honest about what you have. And then what are you doing with that? What can you do? Some of you feel overwhelmed. Some of you feel dry. Just dial down. There's grace that God has given you. And you think about this week. What's a, what's a way that you could give that grace away to someone else? You don't have to start an organization. You don't have to commit to something for the next 12 months. I'm just saying one tangible act. That's what Paul did. At once he started preaching in Damascus. And then he went to Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit led him to some other places. He didn't have a 30-year ministry or life plan. All he had was, well, today this is where I am, and so this is what I'm going to do. And God's good with that. What you can do, that's it. What you have, you do. So, Lord, my prayer for all of us is that we would be people who whose lifestyle is appropriate for the grace that you're giving to us. Whether, regardless of people's affiliation with this church, God, my prayer for everyone in this room is that they would finish the race that you've laid before them. God, if they're at the beginning of the race, if they're close to the end, Lord, I pray for, for grace, for energy to finish well, that none of us would pull up short, that none of us would be distracted, that obstacles and opposition or suffering or whatever would not get in the way of us completing 
the course. And God, I also want to pray particularly for those who just say, I, I, I'm, I, I don't have it. It's still not, you're, you're saying the same thing and I'm not, it's not working. And God, I pray for, for them that they would have, just like you turned Paul, I pray you would turn them, that they would know this is direction that they need to run in and they would go full out in that direction, God. Whatever that looks like for you to move them into that, I pray you would do that this week, God. I pray you would not wait. And God, I want to continue as well to pray uh, for couples. There's one plan for your family, not two. So God, I pray that you would continue to bring couples together. What the wineskin needs to be for their life. Couples, it's not, couples aren't more important than singles. It's just they've got two things that they're trying to push together. So God, I want to pray for grace for them to do that, to have those conversations, to lay all that stuff on the table and to make the choices that need to be made for the family to go after the things that you're putting in their heart. So I pray you'd stir our hearts, God. Lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen. It's 1227, huh?